Welcome to Slim and Satisfied, a podcast about weight loss for women dealing with hormonal imbalances. I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and I invite you to join me weekly for conversations, practical strategies, and resources that will lead you on the right path to feeling satisfied with your body and your life. And now, let's get to today's episode. Hey there, Daphna here. Welcome back to episode number 40 of the Slim and Satisfied podcast. I am so excited and grateful that you've decided to join me today because I'm going to be sharing a recording of a Facebook Live that I recently did on my new private Facebook group page called PCOS Insiders. So if you're not already a member of PCOS Insiders, I invite you to join us because it's going to be a place of a lot of great value for you if you have PCOS. So I'm going to be there daily in the group, answering questions, going live, sharing all kinds of tips and strategies, as well as written resources like recipes and tip sheets and all kinds of checklists to help you get your health on track, not only this year in 2020, but well beyond. So join us in PCOS Insiders. You can find the link below, or if you go to Facebook and just search PCOS Insiders, the group should come up. There are a couple questions that I want you to answer in order to enter the group, and then you'll be in and getting all the goods. All right, so let's dive into the Facebook Live I did recently in the group all about insulin resistance. I want you to stick all the way to the end because I answered some very, very good questions from some of the members of the group. So at the end, there's a lot of great value and I'm sure that you can relate to some of the things that they have asked. So make sure that you stick around until the very end because these PCOS insiders asked some really great questions about insulin resistance, weight management, and even about how to deal with picky eaters. If your kids are picky eaters, we talked about that as well. All right, let's dive into this recording of a Facebook Live from my PCOS Insiders group. There, everyone, Daphna here, how are you? I hope you're having a great Thursday. I hope your week was really great. And I'm so excited to be here. I'm going live in the Facebook group. This is a new private Facebook group that, as you know, I just started. And first of all, let me tell you guys, you're amazing. You are getting in there, getting engaged, asking great questions, commenting, liking, setting up support groups within the group. You're buddying up. Thank you so much, Amy, for initiating that. I think that's so amazing. So way to go. I'm so very happy that I started this group because I know that it's going to be a great way for all of you to stay connected, get support, get in touch with me, get your questions answered. So all good stuff, amazing stuff. I'm so very happy. I've gotten some amazing questions that I'm going to address at the end of the live. Before we do that, I want to talk about insulin resistance because it's such an important topic and I see so many women who are confused and struggling and just don't know where to go after they get the diagnosis of PCOS or maybe they get you know, told that they have insulin resistance right at the same time or soon after and they're stuck. They're not sure what to do. So I really wanted to address this because this is important. If you're struggling with symptoms of PCOS, if you have unexplained weight gain, you're having a hard time losing weight, you have a lot of cravings, if you're dealing with things like um, no periods, infertility, acne, hair loss, hair growth, all of the classical symptoms of PCOS, 
I want to talk to you about insulin resistance because chances are this is what is at the bottom of it. This is the root cause of some of the very common symptoms that you may be experiencing. And the good news is that it's very treatable. It's very manageable with lifestyle changes. And that's what I help people accomplish. That's what I help people implement. So I'm going to share a lot of that with you today. And then of course, get to your amazing questions at the end, because you guys did submit some high quality questions that I absolutely love. So just kind of say hello in the comments. I want to see who's here. Ashley, I see you, girl. Grace, yes, thank you so much for being here. And if you're missing it live, then you're going to catch the replay. It's going to be here in the group, so no worries at all. And you can always submit additional questions under this post. All right, so I wanted to talk about insulin resistance. Again, about 90%, between 70 and 90% of women with PCOS are estimated to have insulin resistance. So even if you don't have diabetes, even if your weight is within the normal range, even if you're not you know, ever feeling cravy or have issues with carbs and sugar, and who doesn't? If you don't, let me know. I wanna know what you're doing. But even if you don't have any of these issues, you're likely still somewhat insulin resistant. And this is what we see in studies and just in my experience in my practice is that there's always an imbalance of insulin. And until we address that, nothing else can happen. None of the other symptoms can be managed before we address insulin. So let's take a step back and talk about what is insulin resistance. So under normal circumstances, and by the way, it's important to know that anybody can have insulin resistance. It can happen not just in PCOS, it can happen in all women and all men too. So there are many, many millions of people out there dealing with insulin resistance. And again, so much you can do with nutrition to eliminate it or tame it. That is, it, this is why I like to talk about it because there's a lot that you can do and I'm gonna give you some tools to get started. So when we eat a meal under normal circumstances, if someone does not have insulin resistance and they eat a meal, that meal gets broken down. And if there are any proteins or carbohydrates in that meal, insulin will go up in order to process the food. So when we eat a, a carbohydrate, whether it's a sweet potato or a Hershey kiss, that's gonna get broken down into sugar, which is also known as glucose, which I'm sure you already know. So when food gets broken down into sugar, insulin comes in and helps this sugar get into cells. You can think of insulin like the key that unlocks the door for sugar to enter into the cell. And when sugar gets into the cell, it gets burned off for energy and that's it. And it's just gone, right? So we use it up for energy and those calories are burnt off. When someone is insulin resistant, there's a problem. The key is not working. Insulin is still being released when we eat a meal, when we eat, say, a sweet potato. Blood sugar is going to go up because that glucose is raising blood sugar. Insulin is going to come in but there is a problem, the key is not working. So what ends up happening is that blood sugar accumulates and insulin also accumulates. Those two are not communicating and they just keep going up because when the body realizes that sugar was consumed or food was consumed, but it's not getting into the cell because the key is not working, it's gonna release more and more insulin to try to push the sugar into the cell as best as it can. 
but it's not happening. So the two just keep accumulating and going up and up. And over time, this is called insulin resistance. Okay, so we have high blood sugar and we have high insulin in the system. Now, why is this a problem? for many, many reasons, especially for PCOS. When insulin goes high, it starts acting on all kinds of tissues in the body. And specifically, there are insulin receptors, which are little molecules on the cells that attract insulin on the ovaries. So there are insulin receptors on the ovaries. And when insulin gets built up in the blood, it starts acting on the ovaries and triggering them to produce testosterone. And when we have a lot of testosterone, more than normal being pumped out from the ovaries, we start seeing all kinds of symptoms. So we start seeing things like acne, We start seeing things like hair loss and then hair growth in other parts of the body. We start seeing a lot more cravings, okay? And we also see when insulin is is acting on the ovaries and they produce testosterone that we don't get a period, okay? So anytime we get a lot of testosterone pumped into the system, we're going to see all of these PCOS symptoms no periods, a lot of acne, cravings, hair loss, and then hair growth in places where we don't want hair to grow. And so the other thing that happens other than testosterone being increased is that blood sugar stays high still. Remember, blood sugar never got taken care of, so it's still high. So what's going to happen is the body is going to trigger me to eat more sweets because it's not getting energy in the cells. So it's going to signal the brain that I need more food. I need more energy. And generally speaking, I'm going to not be going for a kale salad, right? When I have a craving, I'm going for sweets. I'm going for crunchy. I'm going for something high in fat. And that's all the result of blood sugar staying really high and insulin not doing its job. The other thing we're going to see is a lot more fat accumulation, especially in the stomach area. So if you've gained weight in the past few years and you feel like it's all right here in the midsection and the abdomen, that could be related to insulin resistance. Because what happens is the body is really smart and what it's going to do is it's going to take the blood sugar that's really high and say, okay, you're not going into the cell I also don't want you to be circulating around in the blood. I'm going to convert you into fat and store you away until we're ready to use you up. So all the sugar that's staying in the circulation in the blood that didn't go into the cells is now being converted to something that you may have heard about, and it's called triglycerides. So the body can take a sugar molecule and turn it into a fat in the form of triglycerides. So anytime we have high blood sugar and insulin resistance, we're going to see high triglycerides. And that's really harmful because it increases the risk for fatty liver. It increases the risk for diabetes as well as heart disease. So we don't want any of that. And what's also interesting is that when we see insulin resistance, we see a lot more correlation with anxiety, depression, and all kinds of mood disorders. So insulin resistance can impact a lot of different things in the body from cravings to acne to hair growth to big risk for diseases like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and fatty liver disease. So we want to bring insulin down as much as possible. And again, if you're dealing with weight loss, that's difficult. If you're having a hard time losing weight, you have to take a look at insulin resistance because chances are that's at the root cause of why you're gaining weight or not losing weight as you would expect. 
So I hope this helps to kind of clarify what insulin resistance is and why is it important, why we should even care about it. We care about it because it drives all PCOS symptoms pretty much. Now, how would you know if you're insulin resistant or not? Well, like I said in the beginning, if you do have PCOS, chances are you have some form of insulin resistance, but you don't have to. Like, it's not always the case. So you may want to dig a little deeper and get some tests done. And you can ask for these tests from your general practitioner or if you're being seen by an OB-GYN or if you're being seen by an endocrinologist who helps you manage your PCOS, which I really hope you do, by the way, I always recommend that my clients see a specialist. So whether it's a gynecologist or someone with knowledge of hormonal health, like an endocrinologist, very, very important to get someone who's a specialist. So you can ask your doctor to run these tests for you, and they're very simple, and you may already have these numbers. Blood sugar, so your fasting blood sugar and your fasting insulin levels. And then you can take it a step further and plug them into the link that I posted in the description of this post. There's a link to an equation. It's called HOMA, H-O-M-A. And you can plug in your fasting insulin and your fasting blood sugar in there, and it will give you a score and tell you if you're insulin resistant or not. So it's a really great free tool. If you already have those numbers, go ahead and jump over to the link and you can plug in the numbers after we're done here, okay? Don't leave right now. All right, so if you have your fasting insulin, you have your fasting blood sugar, that should be a good place to start. If you also know your triglycerides, that is a big indicator of insulin resistance. So if you know your triglycerides levels and they're above 150, you're considered borderline high. We want those numbers below 150 for triglycerides. And again, any doctor can run these tests for you. And if you haven't had a physical or labs done in a while, go ahead and have them done. You can get a lot of information out of it. And I always encourage my clients to be educated patients. You want to be an educated patient. You want to know what your numbers are. You want to know what your risk factors are. Get a good picture of your health so that you can do something about it, okay? So those triglycerides need to be below 150. If they're above 150, and especially if they're above 200, likely you're insulin resistant. We want to bring them down. Because remember, triglycerides are usually a result of high blood sugar. And if your blood sugar is high, chances are insulin's not working too well. And then it got converted into triglycerides. And now we have high triglycerides. We want to reduce those. Okay. So that's the second test that you can do. And you don't have to do all of them. If you got your fasting sugar and insulin, that's plenty to get you started. But if you already know your triglycerides, you can look at that number. And then the other thing is there's something called the metabolic syndrome, and that is very closely associated with insulin resistance. So if you have any three of the five things I'm going to list right now, chances are you have insulin resistance. So if you have high blood pressure, meaning greater than 130 over 85, if your blood pressure when you went to the doctor was greater than 130 over 85, or if you're medicated for blood pressure and it's not normal without the medication, that's one indicator. If you have high triglycerides, like I just said, if you have high waist circumference, meaning you're carrying a lot of weight in the midsection and your waist circumference is greater than 35, that's another risk factor. If you're 
fasting blood sugar is high, higher than I'm going to say 120 or 126. That's fairly high. And then if your good cholesterol, which is called HDL, if your good cholesterol is low, meaning it's below 40, that's another risk factor. So if you have any of these five, any three of these five, high blood pressure, high triglycerides, high fasting blood glucose, low good cholesterol, or high waist circumference, chances are you are insulin resistant. And again, I would do nothing else before addressing this. This has to be addressed first because weight loss can't happen. Regulating your skin and your hair growth, if you are very oily and things like that, that's usually related to testosterone. You want to get that insulin under control. Okay, so I'm just going to check back in with you and see if you guys have any questions or comments. Okay, how does metformin work with insulin resistance? That's a really good question. So I'm going to address this, Jessica. I'm going to talk about metformin in a little bit, but metformin is a medication that helps sensitize the body to insulin, meaning it helps the body use insulin, recognize insulin a lot better, and it's a very common medication to be used with PCOS. Sometimes it's not tolerated well because there's um, digestive problems. So it can cause a lot of digestive distress, diarrhea, cramps, and things like that. So not everyone tolerates it, but it's a very good medication to use in order to lower insulin resistance. It helps the body recognize insulin better. And many times it's used for weight loss because like I just said, if you reduce insulin resistance, it will be easier to lose weight. So it works on both things, but the main thing that it does it is it helps the cells and the body get more sensitive to insulin, and that's a good thing. We want to be as sensitive to insulin as possible so it could do its job really effectively. So hopefully that addresses your question. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what you can do about insulin resistance because that's what we're here for. We're here to give you solutions. I want you to get active with managing your health, be proactive about it and do things about it. So we talked about what it is. We talked about how to know if you have it, what kind of tests to run, what kind of things to look for. Now, say you discovered that you are insulin resistant. What are you going to do? Well, there are three things that I want you to think about. Nutrition, supplements, and then sleep and stress, I'm going to bundle them together, okay? So sleep and stress always go together, and it's really important to address all three of these areas. As far as nutrition, this is not just about carbohydrates. So anytime someone hears insulin, ding, 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 I'm going to cut out all sugar and I'll be fine, yes, that's going to help, but it's not the end-all be-all of taking care of insulin resistance. There's a lot more to it than just that. But let's talk about carbs really quickly. I did a whole podcast episode about it. I actually put the link um, below to the podcast on my uh, website. So you can go over there. I believe it was episode number nine, where I talked all about how to eat carbohydrates for PCOS. But let me give you a little bit of kind of a broad overview of where carbs fall in your plan. So you do not need to avoid carbs. You do not need to cut out gluten. Please don't cut out gluten if you don't have to. If you are not celiac or gluten sensitive, you likely do not need to cut out gluten in order to see results, okay? It's not necessary. I have 
hundreds of clients who are eating gluten, have PCOS, and they're losing weight like gangbusters. There is no need to do that. But if you are allergic or you have a diagnosed issue with gluten, yes, you likely will feel better without it. But you can incorporate all carbs into your day as long as they are not processed. So I don't want anything that comes from a box or it has a million ingredients or has a lot of fat or sodium added to it. So I'm thinking about, of course, the obvious ones, things like cookies, chips, crackers, all of those things that are highly processed. Those are the things that's, for me, the low-hanging fruit. They got to be eliminated. You have to find healthier alternatives to those things, and I can help you do that. But you want to eliminate processed carbs for sure, and then you also want to replace them with higher fiber alternatives. So if you're eating a cracker, find a cracker that's higher in fiber. If you're eating potatoes, switch to sweet potatoes. They're higher in fiber. Someone posted in the group, I think it was Leslie, who asked about brown rice, I believe, or some other alternative to brown rice because she's right. Brown rice is actually not that high in fiber. So you can go with something like bulgur wheat or quinoa. So always be aiming to add fiber into your day as much as possible. That's one thing unprocessed, high fiber, and then you want them spaced out evenly throughout the day, okay? So you never want to eat a sandwich and fruit and a yogurt because those are actually all carbs. So sometimes I have people coming into my office and they'll say, I have a really healthy breakfast. I eat toast with peanut butter, a banana, and a little bit of cereal with milk. That may sound like an okay breakfast. It's certainly better than eating Pop-Tarts or going to Dunkin' Donuts, but it's all carbohydrates. There's hardly any protein in that meal, and you're getting a hefty dose of carbs in one sitting. We don't want that. That is not good for your insulin secretion. It's going to bump up your insulin, and it's not doing anything to make your body more sensitive to insulin. So the way I would modify a meal like that is I would maybe have the banana and maybe I would have the toast, but I would have a hard-boiled egg or I would have something higher in protein with it that is not carbohydrate-based, okay? So yogurt does have carbs in it. So it's not to say that yogurt is bad, but maybe I would have the toast with eggs and a banana or if I wanted to have the yogurt, I would add something that has a healthy fat. So I would add walnuts or chia or flax seeds into it. And that way I'm breaking up the carbs. I'm kind of um, balancing out the carbohydrates with a protein or a healthy fat so that I'm not getting such a big surge of carbohydrates into my bloodstream. So this is another thing that you could be doing. And then the third thing, which I kind of alluded to just now, Never eat carbs alone. You don't want to be eating a meal that has mostly carbohydrates in it. So a baked potato, that's not a meal. Where is your protein? Where are the vegetables? They have to be in there. Or another example is a bowl of pasta, which we all eat sometimes, but you don't want to be eating pasta as your meal, I would say more than once a week. So if you find yourself eating things like mac and cheese or pasta, even if it's with good sauce like a marinara or something that's very you know healthy overall, you always want to have a good source of protein right along with it. Carbs don't like to be lonely. The same goes for eating fruit. If you're eating fruit between your meals and you're not pairing it with anything else, 
That's too many carbs. The carbs are not being balanced out. Okay. So let's recap a little bit and move on to talking about supplements. Let's recap nutrition. We talked mostly about carbs. Oh, I only talked about carbs and I didn't want to only talk about carbs. I wanted to talk about fats as well. But okay, let's take it step by step here. Talking about carbs, we talked about them being unprocessed, high in fiber, spaced out throughout the day, and never lonely. Remember, carbs do not like to be lonely. Who does, right? So make sure that you're pairing them with either a protein or a good high fat item like nuts or avocado or flax seeds, chia seeds, things like that. Now, let's talk about fats for a second because this is important. And if you're multitasking, I want you to come back to me and listen really closely here. Fats are very important for insulin resistance. And this is partly why I don't like keto. If you're eating a diet that's really high in saturated fat, like keto, where you're eating butter and you're eating a lot of cream cheese and a lot of meat and bacon and steaks and sausages and whatever, Saturated fat will make insulin resistance worse. It's making insulin not be able to do its job because there are studies that show that saturated fats actually increase inflammation. And when we have a lot of inflammation, insulin decreases in function, okay? So it's really important that I'm not saying you can never eat bacon or you can never eat cream cheese. I eat cream cheese. I eat butter but it can't be the main source of fat in your day. You want fats to come from healthy sources, and those are usually plant-based sources of fat. So when we think about cheese and bacon and sausage and all of those things and butter, they come from animals, right? But when we think about avocados, olives, nuts and seeds, sunflower seeds, all of those good things, Those are fats that come from plant-based sources, and those are the ones you want to prioritize. You want to always be cooking with plant-based oils. You want to add them to your meals and try to cut back as much as you can on the animal-based fats because those are saturated and they will make insulin resistance worse, okay? So this is really important. This is one of the many reasons why I don't believe in keto. I have not seen it work for even one person, and I don't care how many people on Instagram are posting their their keto pictures. I want to see them in a year or two years or five years. When they still have PCOS, are they still doing keto, and is their weight still down? That would be an indicator to me that they're successful, not if you've been doing it for two months, okay? So we talked about healthy fats. We talked about carbs. Let's move on to talking about supplements. So you asked um, Jessica about metformin. There is actually a supplement that is a natural version of metformin that doesn't need to be prescribed. And it works exactly the same way for some people even better because it doesn't cause as many digestive issues. Now in this group, Again, I'm a dietitian. I'm a licensed healthcare professional, but I'm not your dietitian. So I don't know anything about you guys other than your beautiful faces and your amazing comments and all the smart questions you're asking. But obviously, I don't know anything about your medical information. So I can't prescribe. I can't recommend. I can't tell you if something's a good idea for you until I know more about you. So always consult with a healthcare professional. Always make sure that you're checking with whoever is taking care of you as far as your medical conditions, if this would be okay. 
But one of the supplements that I see a lot of success with in my practice is called berberine. And berberine is a natural version of metformin. And like I said, women have had less digestive issues with berberine, and it can really help reduce insulin resistance and make your body more sensitive to insulin. The other thing you may want to look at when it comes to supplements is Uh, things that help the body process carbohydrates better because that may help as well. So magnesium or chromium, those are two supplements that really help with blood sugar management. And then another supplement that may be helpful here is omega-3 fats because they help reduce inflammation. So we didn't talk a lot about inflammation. I'm going to talk about it in an upcoming uh, live so that you can understand that a little bit better more. But just know that right along with insulin resistance, we often see low-grade inflammation in women with PCOS and omega-3 fats from fish and from other sources like walnuts can help reduce inflammation and increase the sensitivity that we have to insulin. So that's another really important supplement to look into. I did do a whole episode on supplements related to PCOS on my podcast. So again, there's a lot more detail over there, but I want you to think about doing both, right? You're going to work on your diet and you're also going to work on taking one or two supplements to help you manage the insulin resistance. So let's talk a little bit about stress and sleep. Stress and sleep are going to drive insulin resistance as well, because here's what happens. When we don't sleep, the body perceives it as a stressor, right? We don't get enough energy. We didn't get enough restful sleep, and we can't do all the repairing and all the biological processes that need to happen while we sleep are not happening because we didn't sleep. And that's a huge stressor on the body. We're not just tired, we're actually not functioning physically to the highest degree that we can. And if you have ever had problems with sleep, and many women with PCOS do, you know what that feels like. You feel lethargic, you feel more cravy, you feel more irritable, it makes everything harder. The other thing that happens when you don't sleep is the body releases cortisol, which is the stress hormone that we all need, but we don't want too much of. So if you have a lot of sleep problems and you're chronically sleep deprived, your cortisol will gradually go up and up and up. And guess what? Cortisol and insulin work together. So anytime cortisol goes up, insulin will also go up because cortisol makes the body release blood sugar, right? It's going to make the body release sugar from the liver. It increases blood sugar because we need energy. And when the body needs energy, it's going to look for sugar. So this is, by the way, why if you're tired and you crave sugar, sugar, sugar all day long, it's because your brain is, it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's your brain telling you to look for the most condensed source of energy, which is usually something sugary. So When we have a lot of cortisol, we have a lot more blood sugar circulating, and then insulin will come and and try to lower that. But we already know we're insulin resistant, so it just makes things worse. So it's this vicious cycle, and this is why the same happens with stress, whether it's little stressors throughout the day, like being stuck in traffic, always being late, your child being sick, your boss being super annoying, all the little things that happen to all of us all the time. Those are considered stressors, just like any big stressor. So God forbid if there were an accident or 
financial stress or divorce or death or illness, all of the big, very unfortunate things that are part of life, those big stressors and those other little stressors, we now know are the same. They impact us in the exact same way. So if you're constantly stressed, if you're constantly feeling behind and kind of not managing, that will increase cortisol and that will make insulin resistance worse as well. So managing stress and managing sleep are top, top priorities, okay? It's going to look differently for every single person. I have clients who love journaling and feel like that's a really good outlet for feelings and and de-stressing. I have clients who take in on yoga or just simple breathing exercises. I have clients who just need to take time off for self-care. And I know self-care has become such an overused term, but what I always say about self-care is that, you know, you have to think about the things that will make you feel good. If you don't like to, you know, take walks or if you don't like pedicures or if you don't like doing whatever your friend is doing for self-care, don't do it. It's not about doing the new trendy thing that everyone is raving about. It's about what works for you, what's going to make you calm, what's going to make you feel at peace and relaxed so that you cannot go into another day feeling super stressed. You have to lower those stress levels. You have to get proper sleep. And again, I did an episode all about stress and sleep on my podcast. So you can look, I think it's episode 11. So episodes 9, 10, and 11, I spoke all about PCOS, diet, supplements, sleep, stress. I did an in-depth coverage of all of those topics. So you can head on over there or uh, Alyssa can put the links below and you can check it out. But these are all important things that are related to PCOS, to insulin resistance, and they're the lifestyle things that you may know about, but are you doing them? I want you to start practicing these things every single day and you will see a difference, okay? All righty, so let me go over here and I want to answer some of your amazing questions. You guys ask really, really good questions. Okay, so Jessica, you asked, why does what I eat affect my egg quality with PCOS? And then you also asked, I was told I have PCOS, but that testing for insulin resistance was not necessary until I'm done having kids. Is this true in your opinion? Okay, so let me address your first question first. Why does what I eat impact your egg quality? Because the egg gets nourishment from your body. So everything that you eat gets processed in the body and those nutrients are then deposited into every cell of the body, including our reproductive system, right? So your eggs do get nutrition and nutrients and vitamins and minerals from what you eat. So it's super important that your diet is conducive to high egg quality. And you can do that with good nutrition, right? So you can target really three things I usually say. Lots of antioxidants. So those are all your leafy greens, things like berries, all of the fruits and vegetables that are super high in nutrition, like cruciferous vegetables, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, and then healthy fats are really important. So things like avocados and nuts and seeds, as well as fatty fish. So healthy fats and fatty fish kind of overlap because what we like about fatty fish for egg quality is omega-3s. So those are the good fats in fish that really help the egg develop properly and be super primed for 
the next step, right? So things like antioxidants, omega-3s, healthy fats, and then believe it or not, eggs and egg yolks are particularly good for egg quality as well. So that's a little bit about that. Um, Let's jump back into talking about insulin resistance. So you asked, should you wait until you are done having kids testing for insulin resistance? Absolutely not. You should be tested for it right now. I don't know why your doctor said that or if it were a doctor that said that to you, but I don't see any sense in doing that. I think that everyone should be tested, especially if you're dealing with some symptoms. So if you're dealing with things like acne or if your weight's not budging or if you feel cravy or you just feel off, you feel like you have high testosterone, you're oily, your hair is oily, your skin is oily, those are all signs of high testosterone you're going to want to get the insulin tested. I can't see why not because also, even if you have none of these symptoms that I just mentioned and your insulin is high, it puts you at high risk for disease. So why wait to test it? Test it now. And you can ask your doctor very simply, fasting blood sugar, fasting insulin, get it done. All right, Mary, you said, um, I was first diagnosed with PCOS in 2008. At that time, I was considered pre-diabetic and took metformin for about six months. Discontinued use due to side effects on my stomach. Yeah, so a lot of women do have to come off it because of issues with digestive distress. My blood sugars leveled out with diet and some weight loss. Awesome. Since then, my blood sugars have tested within a normal range. Great. Which surprised me because I'm 30 pounds heavier than I was in 2008. Can I have a normal non-fasting blood glucose and still be insulin resistant? Yes, you can, Mary. So unfortunately, you can still be insulin resistant if you're lean, meaning you don't have a weight issue. If you're someone who is not dealing with high blood sugar, if you don't have prediabetes, certainly if you don't have diabetes, you can still be insulin resistant because it could be manifested in different ways. So like I said before, it doesn't have to be that insulin raises your blood sugar so high that you get prediabetes or diabetes. And, you know, when what we talked about before also helps understand this, because if your blood sugar was high um, in 2008 or when you were put on metformin, and then it stayed high, over time, the body is going to work really hard to lower blood sugar. So it may have turned it into those triglycerides. So I don't know how your triglyceride levels are, but it could be that your blood sugar normalized, even though you gained weight. And the fact that you gained weight is a red flag to the fact that you do have insulin resistance, right? Because remember, if you have a lot of insulin, you're going to keep depositing fat, especially in the midsection. So if blood sugar was high, your insulin was high, or maybe blood sugar was not too, too high that it was pre-diabetic, but insulin was high, you're going to continue to convert those blood sugar is into triglycerides, you're going to put on some weight, and you may be experiencing some of the other symptoms related to you no know, period or acne or the other things I mentioned that would signal that you're insulin resistant. So you can definitely still have an issue with insulin, even if your blood sugar is normal. All right, we have another Mary, and you asked, I have no health issues, good, but my weight. And I don't eat unhealthy, but I'm not losing weight, even being on a diet and working out. I didn't gain this weight until I was put on the depot birth control shot, and now I can't lose it. 
I'm at a loss on what to do. Yeah, so this is really common, Mary, and the depot shot is associated. One of the main side effects is weight gain, and we're not exactly sure why. Some people say it's because it lowers estrogen. Some people say that it causes an increase in appetite, but I would be curious to see if you are insulin resistant or maybe there's something else going on as far as your hormones, but hormonal birth control oftentimes does cause weight gain. And I'd be curious to know if you're no longer taking the depot shot, are you on another type of hormonal birth control? Because that could be further disrupting your hormones and making it harder for you to lose weight. So I'd be curious to know if you can comment below if you have another form of birth control that you're using and it's hormonal, maybe the issue is that the birth control is disrupting your hormones and making it harder for you to lose weight. So I have another question and that's from Ashley. Okay, so Ashley, you asked, is insulin resistance affected by the quantity of calories consumed or the quality of calories consumed? What a great question or a combo. I spend much of my day at a pretty physically demanding job. I enjoy working out after work three to four times a week and also have two very active dogs that I walk multiple times a day. Every time I've tried programs in the past, I've been advised to limit myself to 1,500 calories per day. At first, it's fine, but after a month and a half, I have lost, I've always lost weight. Uh, so after a month and a half, you get to a point where you're constantly feeling weak or tired and ravenous all the time, making the initial changes impossible to stick to long term. Yeah, I hear you, girl. That's very, very common. I'm not sure if, um, if consuming more healthy selections specifically during weeks of high activity levels will impact my insulin resistance long term or not. Thanks in advance. Okay, so that's a really great question. There are a lot of pieces to it. So I'm going to try to tease it apart a little bit. The first thing you asked is, is it the quality or the quantity of the calories? It's a little bit of both, but I would put more emphasis on the quality. So if it was hard for you to stick with 1500 calories, which is common and I totally can understand, especially given your activity level, yeah, 1500 calorie may not be possible to stick with. So I want you to go up maybe to 1800 or maybe you don't count calories at all and you just focus on the quality of the meals. So you're making sure that you're doing everything I just said. You're spacing out your carbs. You're making sure you're eating a ton of fiber. You're adding the healthy fats. Healthy fats can really help you um, feel more satiated. So if you have periods of time where you're feeling ravenous, and that may be your blood sugar dipping a little bit. So I don't know if you tried to cut a lot of the carbs out and maybe you didn't eat enough. So your blood sugar dipped a lot and then you felt ravenous and it was really hard to stick with. That's really common. So I want you to add healthy fats because that will help you feel more satiated, will feel more full. So maybe try to not cut calories, just focus on the quality. But what I'm going to say is that if you see that you're actually gaining weight, that's where you need to also be looking at the calories. And a good range, I would say, if you're fairly active, would be, yeah, 16, 18, 2,000 calories a day. If your job is very physically demanding, I would go up to 2,000 calories per day. Make sure the selections are really good and then see what happens. Yeah, so yeah, during high activity, I would definitely go higher in the calories or try at first to not count any calories at all and just work on making sure your healthy choices are there, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. One thing I'm going to say is try to consolidate your meals and have three meals per day and maybe one snack 
and not much more than that. What I've seen to be not so effective and not working well for a lot of women is smaller, frequent meals throughout the day. I don't like it. I haven't seen it working so well. For my clients, I always try to get them to eat three meals per day and maybe one snack. If your day is not too long, like if you're not waking up at 5 a.m. and going to sleep at 10 and having a lot of activity in that time frame, that should work okay. If your day is super long, then you may be, need a couple more snacks in there. All right, Jessica, for kids that are picky eaters, yes, I have them too, Jessica, and don't eat vegetables or nutritious meals. Does this create lasting impact or set them up for insulin resistance later on? That's a good question. I'm going to say not necessarily. I don't know how young your kids are. I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. My eight-year-old is like, he eats five foods and that's it. When he was younger, he ate a lot more foods. What I try to do, and this is like a little bit off topic, but I want to help you out with this because I feel your pain. You want to always be offering options, but make sure they're all healthy. And this is what I do all the time. You don't want to eat vegetables. That is okay. But the alternative is not goldfish, right? So sometimes I see moms in my community and friends and things like that who will be like, do you want to eat a chicken sandwich or do you want to eat Cheez-Its? Uh, well, what do you think your kid's going to choose, girl? He's going to choose the Cheez-Its, right? So make sure that you're offering your child options, but that they're all healthy. And there's not going to be an option that they pick that you don't like, okay? That's one thing I'm going to say. The other thing is, no, it doesn't set them up for insulin resistance unless they're very overweight and they drink, you know, soda and a lot of candy and sweets and things like that. Make sure that you're controlling that as much as possible. And I think most parents today do control it uh, fairly well, but you want to get them active. You want to make sure they get enough sleep. You want to make sure that even if they're not eating vegetables or um, nutritious meals, what they are eating is not fully refined. You don't want them eating just, you know, French fries for every meal or pop tarts, you know, try to find better options. Even if it's a waffle, find a waffle that has some fiber. Even if it's, you know, they're going to eat mac and cheese, maybe find a pasta that has some fiber. Those little tweaks can be acceptable to them and you'll feel better and their nutrition will be better. But don't try to push the vegetables too hard. If you model good behavior, they'll catch on. Okay. All right, Mary, I have no idea if I'm resistant to insulin and I know I don't sleep a whole night. Also, I didn't gain this weight I have until I was put. Yeah, so Mary, I think, I think I already answered your question. Sleep is a priority for sure. I'm going to check back in the comments to see if you let me know if you're on another form of hormonal birth control because that's important as well. And then, you know, your meals, I want to know exactly what you're eating and things like that. Maybe I can help you. But it's not uncommon to be putting weight on after being on birth control, especially if it's hormonal. Okay. So that's unfortunately a common issue. It looks like I've covered everything that you guys have asked. So I'm so happy that some of you attended live and are here and getting all the answers and all the information. Go back to my um, podcast and check the episodes that I did on PCOS specifically. There's tons of information in there. And if you're in my group here, likely you already have my PCOS proof kitchen guide, which has a lot of great suggestions on how to eliminate 
sugary foods from your pantry, how to do a little pantry purge, what kind of foods you want to incorporate every single day. And then also it's got a really great four day meal plan that Mary, by the way, you can get started with that. If you start eating some of those meals, I think you'll feel better and you'll see some weight loss. So you can go to DaphnaChazen.com forward slash PCOS plan and grab a copy right there. That's going to be a lot of help to you. So I also put a link to that here below. And that's it, guys. So I'm going to be here again next week. We're going to talk about a different topic. I'm going to ask you to submit questions again so that I can address them for you. And if you have anything else, just post it in the group and I will see you here again next time. All right. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.